Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. This thing right here is for my people's industry. Yes, yes, today. Yes, yes, today. You know, as we start this show, this one might be. There is a pause. Throughout the stadium, as the man sounds like he just coughed up a lung. Just looking around, the jumbotron shows and pans the cheerleaders, and as it goes down each cheerleader's face, each one breaks up into laughter, which at this particular time destroys half the stadium. The other half is still trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Does this guy need? Uh, CPR or something And then at that particular time I lost it <laughs> Devon Trump Yes, yes, yes Today Phoenix is another place They got a great uh, training staff I mean they, they were able to breathe life back into Shaq And if you can do that then People talk a lot about their <laughs> training staff love, love. Yes, yes, today you know, as we start this show, this one Mike, The cash cow known as the NFL preseason is officially open. And you know the Olympics provided us with memorable moments, both on the field of play and off. All I got to do is ask, is anybody got a key to the bathroom? We'll talk about that <laughs> later, kind of get that going on. Conor McGregory insults the WWE and survives his rematch with Diaz. And as always, we thank you for joining us for the next 90 minutes. Brought to you by Blog Talk Radio. We welcome you to One Mic by RSG. I'm in the house with my guy, Hank, and we are blessed to be on iTunes. So check us out on there and give us some feedback in terms of our, uh, our review. Hopefully we get a five-rating uh, review. But does anybody have a key? Lock me, lock me, lock me. Now, We've been talking about off the air. If we could, we could play the off the air stuff before we go to the show. Some of that material is probably better than stuff you might hear live on the air. But man, he came out portraying himself as Nino Brown, but turned out to be Steve Stifler. What's <laughs> going on with Lockney? <laughs> man, you heard about this. What was your opinion? What were your thoughts? Look, you know, it was. It, 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 first of all, we'd like to say hello to everybody out there to, uh, in Radio Land. You know, we're a few weeks, few days away from the start of my favorite time of the year, you know, college football. And for me, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. But anyway, getting back to what we talked about today, Scott Lochte. Man, he had the whole world running sympathy for him. Like, oh, my God, here it is, United States Olympic gold medalist. He is robbed at gunpoint in Rio. 
What kind of country is this? How in the world could this possibly happen? What happened to security? What happened? What happened? What happened? Where was the bathroom lock? That's what we need to find out. Where was the bathroom lock? You know, that's what that's what I'd like to know. And how do you get, you know, what, what? why would you tap a bathroom in Rio? Why would you do that? You know, you just won the gold medal. There was no bathroom between the pool and that place for you to go take a piss. You had to tap that bathroom and then take your boys with you. You know, I mean, come on. They, 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 bad boys, bad boys. What y'all do that for? <laughs> I'm telling you now. I'm gonna. I mean, and the thing about it is classic. Well, I, I say Stifler and, and any character. Like the classic thing about it is, it breaks down, it shatters. They look up. He at home, looking back at it, and his boys is caught in Rio. Like that's the classic. He's yeah. like the lead dog, causing all the problems. He got the history of doing this. You know, he's got. He what he had three citations at Florida. He had one for public urination. So he got a history for doing this. And then yet, in classic, classic form, his boys are left to deal with all the craziness. He at home tweeting, doing, doing, doing. You know you know it's down. It's a public relations thing when you're doing a one-on-one interview with Matt Lauer. You know, the yeah. whole image recovery thing was on. I, it, was, it was classic. And if he had just told the folks what happened, like if he just told the story the way it was, he probably would have got some sense of sympathy. Like, yeah, I messed up. Yeah, I did this. But it didn't warrant somebody putting a gun in my face and asking me for $400. I was a little out of order. If he had done that, it would have stayed minor. And then why do you tell your mama that? <laughs> That's the part I can't figure out. Like, your mama you know asked you, said, this is the story. Like, what did your mama ask you for you to tell your story? I don't understand that. You know, like, why do you bring your mama in it? Right. I mean, the thing that, that gets me about it is, like, it, it was just so unnecessary. You know, the one yeah. thing that they talked about down in Rio was this green slime that they had in one of those pools. They claimed that it was supposed to be safe, but uh, obviously he must have got a little bit on the brain because for him to go down there and act <laughs> like that and do those, unnecessarily, unnecessarily. We were talking yeah. off air. You know, he got a, a citation in Florida and for public urination. You got to be a special kind of stupid to get a uh, citation for public urination. Listen, every man in America that took a piss outside at least one time in his life, and don't sit up there and say you never have because you you will, okay? But you know well enough and good to get somewhere or have somebody do some lookout so you can handle your business and move on. For him to do, what was he doing? Walking down the middle of Main Street, saying, "Look at this, y'all. Pardon me while I whip this out. Really, this is a gold medal. Listen, he wasn't even." A front line story, okay? Michael Phelps was doing work. He was all over the swimming news. All over the swimming news. Oh, Lofty couldn't handle that. He couldn't handle that. Somebody got to be talking about me someplace. So now can't nobody shut up about him. There are some people that's talking to talking about him, though, that I know he's not too happy about. You know, Speedo, Ralph Lauren, Airweave, gentle hair removal, they're not going to be talking about him no more because he lost those endorsements. Okay, so here you go. You, now you now you can public pee all you want to, and you and you without your speedos on. Now you got to go to Walmart and get them drawers and wear them. <laughs> and, and you know, you know, speedo had to do it, given the number of folks who 
in, in Rio and in Brazil who who buy swimwear and, and what it's known for and a visionary beach volleyball and all that. So, I mean, when you think about your global presence, Brazil is one of those places. And so you just knew Speedo was going to be like, we can't have you. you messing up. you messing up a, a key market for us. We can't. We got to make a business an International incident. I mean, he had he had the nation believing that uh, American athletes were robbed at the Olympics. Okay, now, you know, on the surface, it might seem kind of comical, but if you look at the history behind this, if you remember the uh, 72 uh, games, the uh, Munich games, when the Israelite, uh, the Israel uh, athletes were killed in their um, hotel room. Yes. Okay, this was nothing yes. to really be laughed at, okay? This was something that people That's really right. took serious, those who know better. And so for him yes. to come out here and say this, he did kind of add a little bit of a panic. So anybody who knows a little bit about the history, okay, of trying to keep these athletes safe, he really did step on some real bad toes here. You know, just to kind of throw a little serious. Yes. It's stupid on the, on, yes. on the surface, but in depth, yeah, you can't have anybody representing your country, that, uh, your company, you know, that, that, that yes. just frivolously do things like that. You know, and, and again, he was only a second-tier story until he got to this. When you when you look at this, like how, like it is a story, right? But how do you think it impacted the overall Olympics? You know, and particularly the performance. I mean, even if you think about the swim team dominated. Like, how do you think it impacted um, those efforts in the overall feeling of the Olympics, given some of the amazing performances that we we saw? When you think about it from that perspective, I you know what I don't think I think once we saw how it panned out, Lochte looked a lot worse. Than, than he than he probably ever thought he would with this story. I think it became very quickly a uh, a second page story. I mean, it was front page when they thought it actually happened, but once they found out he was a liar, you know, they immediately uh, vilified him. So not to take away the luster from what I thought was a very well run Olympics. And when, again, you think about what was said about Rio. Uh, going into these Olympics, the concerns they had about Zika virus, the concerns they had about safety and civil unrest. I thought that the games went off very well. I thought it was. I thought uh, uh, it was very watchable. Very a lot of history that was made in those Olympics, uh, and uh, it kept you captivated. Um, it, it was. Yeah. I thought it was very well run. I thought. I thought there was something to see all the time for that for that two weeks it was on the air. Yeah, I think the only glitch I saw was the one relay team that was taken to another venue instead of going to relay, and they had to uh, shuffle the the. Uh, it was like it was a semifinal relay. They had to shuffle that, but for the most part, I think everything went off the way it was supposed to, and it had some of the most amazing, um, you know, uh, you know, um, events and um, that we've seen in Olympics in a, in a long time. You know, speaking of that, what were some of your your highlight moments that you took away from the Olympic experience. I'm a big Olympic fan. I watch a lot of different sports, but what did you take away from this Olympics? And what are some of the highlights? Well, let me tell you. I, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm one of those old schoolers. You know, I, I, I wait around, you know, to see the track and field, and I wait around to maybe watch a little bit of the basketball. Uh, but, you know, you, you, were, you were blind in one eye and can't see out the other one. If you didn't notice the remarkable uh, uh, feat of the women's um, uh, uh, gymnastics team, okay, just an awesome yeah. performance by Simone Biles. 
But I have to say this. I'm going to have to hit a quote from an old 1985 uh, tune by the Eurythmics featuring Aretha Franklin, which was called Sisters is Doing It for Themselves. I have to mention Simone Manuel, the first African-American woman to win an individual Olympic gold in swimming and set an Olympic record. She didn't just win to get a gold medal. She set an Olympic gold record and an American record, okay, an African-American woman. Now, you've got to understand the significance behind that, okay? I mean, the old stereotype that black folks can't swim. Okay, I'm gonna put it out there. We on we on we on uh, blog radio, so I can do that. But uh, she she that impressed me. That impressed me. And then I also have to yep. speak about Michelle Carter. You know, since I'm doing that, Michelle Carter won a woman's gold medal for shot put, first ever in the U.S. Uh, United States in that event. Okay, another African American woman, black woman, in shot put now. I always knew that women could throw, a black women could throw something, and they got pinpoint accuracy. I know that from my mother, you know. But to see her <laughs> throw something, sixteen pound ball, and to uh, win this shot put, I have to tell you, I was very impressed. I was very proud for 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 them, for the whole team, but especially for the sisters who was doing it for themselves. Yeah, I, I think I would um, uh, would add to that. I think that was. Uh, you know, an amazing moment when you think about, um, you know, the the, the gymnasts and, 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 and the achievement they have, uh, the way in which they dominated. I mean, they dominated in ways that historically have never been done. Um, I agree uh, with um, the uh, Emmanuel. I think the, the, the look on her face when she looked up and saw that she had won, she won the gold was uh, amazing um, because it, it I, I think – you could have had this this barrier broken a long time ago, but when you have stereotypes like that, unless you have um, forward-thinking families and parents who understand the value of engaging, and when you engage in a sport that is 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 um, where you don't see many role models, um, that's a, that's uh, that makes it even 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 more important. Um, and uh, you know, as a daughter who has a daughter who swam and. Did synchronize and did some of those things. I mean, it, it's something that is is very important. Another woman that I, I want to be able to, given that you know both of us are from Michigan, is uh, Clarissa Shields, who won her second gold medal uh, in boxing from Flint, mm-hmm. Michigan, um, and understanding how difficult the plight was, and when you really understand her story and the way that she had to overcome, um, you know, uh, physical abuse as a young person. Twice, and then the way in which she um, really turned that into a drive for her as a boxer, and um, just the amazing talent she is. And she, you know, I think she won in London, and then won again here in Rio. Uh, was an amazing story. Obviously, what Phelps did um, was incredible, and you noted that before. But at the end of the day, there are certain marquee events, as you said. Um, things that have gone back to the beginning of the Olympics. And track and field has always been that cornerstone. And the 100 and the 200 um, have been uh, uh, important events, have been all eyes. And nobody did his thing more so than Usain Bolt. When you think about <laughs> the fact that <laughs> in the way he did it, I mean, the semifinal one in the 100 where he kind of looked at the cat and has been memeing all yeah. the way was just hilarious. <laughs> 
But you, that, I've that, never that was, seen that was athlete, highlight. That that was that was that was, oh, that was highlight, man. Grinning like yeah. <laughs> and 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 the way in which he embraced the moment, which really amazes me, because you know he's these are world class athletes that he's competing mm-hmm. against, and he is so relaxed, and he's doing this at uh, at an advanced age, which is still yeah. amazing, and doing a one hundred, two hundred, and a relay. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. and people are like are trying to compare him and, and Phelps's feet, and I'm just saying, and and I agree with some of the folks I've heard. The reason why the 100 and the 200 so because it's something that just about every country competes in. Right. <laughs> you know, I think what Phelps did was amazing, but when you're talking about an event that from the beginning of time that just like everybody competes in. Now, mm-hmm. I do say people people lost their mind because they they don't also recognize even though. He has all these records, but when you think about complete feats, I mean, I think sometimes people forget about Carl Lewis, who did right. all those things, plus he did the long jump. Yeah. Um, and so I think sometimes that gets lost. When you when you talk about doing running all those events, but then you also do the long jump, that, that I, I think people can't forget the fact that Carl Lewis was so dominant for so long in all of those mm-hmm. events. And so, mm-hmm. but Boat is, uh, was, was, was amazing, man. Uh, can't, even, can't even clown on him. Like that, love no, him. I mean, love if him. you, 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 he, he was, he was that, he was the celebrity of those events. You waited, you yeah. wanted to see him run, okay? Uh, it, it was like it was, it was Bolt and everybody else. All right, he, That's you right. remember, and I'm gonna date myself a little bit too. He, he kind of reminds me of how Edwin Moses was in the hurdles. Okay, yeah. it's like you, you watched the hurdles because you wanted to see Edwin Moses. He was fluent getting over the hurdle. It was effortless. He was so good. Yes. It was effortless for him. And that's how Bolt runs, okay? He's moving down that track almost like a machine. And so if yes. you just just appreciate just the fluidity of the athlete, you're watching that. You're, you're really watching art, okay? You're not, you you kind of get out of mm-hmm. watching competition. You're actually watching art. You're watching an artist at work. And that's kind of what you get, and that's the kind of, of, of picture I put I put out there when I'm watching the Olympics and I'm watching track and field. You're watching something that is effortless. You're watching like an Edwin Moses just just glide over hurdles. And the hurdles are like three, four feet, okay? And it just yeah. glides over, or a boat going, you know, just 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 glides down the track. You know, it's like it's it's beauty. It's, it's poetry in motion. It really is. Yeah, and I I think you hit it right on. On and, and just electrifying um, in a way that just energized uh, the 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 Olympics. And so, I mean, I think we were fortunate. Enough. And then uh, Ledecky is another one. She was beating. She was beating folks like when she was swimming. She was swimming one direction. Everybody else was swimming the other direction. Yeah. I mean, she hit the wall. She hit the wall. Look at the clock. Order some pizza. And they still had not make it, made it. And she only nineteen years old. Like, yeah. like everybody talking about Phelps, but I'm like, she the most dominant swimmer. I mean, she beating folks like they between her and the in the in in the in the and our national women's basketball team. I don't know who's more dominant. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, she beating right. folks like, right. and that's swimming. Like, like she swimming. Like she almost laughing folks. I'm like, I've never seen anything like that in my life. You know, and then she's going to go back to school and start Stanford. 
right. See, and but you know, I I, I have to marvel at um, and it, 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 I got to go back to Lochte for a minute now. See, I do yeah. recall. I you know, I, I got to go back just for a minute because you remember when there was all of this turmoil and hoopla about uh, Michael Phelps, you know, being caught smoking marijuana or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So you ask yourself, okay, now here here's the best swimmer in the world. He's on chill. He's on chill. Wins a half a dozen medals plus two. He on chill. This dude goes and tears up the bathroom, wins one gold medal, and loses all of his doggone uh, endorsements. Somebody got to give him something. I'm not. I'm not promoting nothing like that. But somebody got to give him something. <laughs> Man, I, I, you hit it. You hit it right ahead. I'm, I'm like, I don't even know. I'm still trying to get over why he told his mama that, but we, yeah, yeah. yeah. All night on that. You know, I, I'm, I'm gonna leave it alone. <laughs> I'm gonna leave it alone. I'm gonna leave it alone. You can't lie to mama like that. You know, that, maybe he was rehearsing. I don't know. I yeah, mean, that's when he was rehearsing. <laughs> you know, you know, man. I don't know. My mama would be. She a short woman. She, she would be hitting me over the head with something. We, that wouldn't be going down. No, that was my mama. I still be in Rio. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not coming back here. Putting up with that? Heck no! <laughs> you got me all on national international television looking crazy. Oh my god! Yeah. Look at they, okay. they, they, they had the news out there having her whooping my old butt down the street. <laughs> <laughs> we can't can't go she, down like that. Hey, so hey, I, hey, we, she, we can't. I guess my my mama my mama whooped me so bad down the street. I'd pee on myself, then I'd get a citation for public urination. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna tell you this, man. So we can't, we can't, we can't leave these Olympics without talking about Melo. You know, and I, I tell you, I love Carmelo. I've been a Carmelo fan since the days at Syracuse. Loving. Um, you know, no, he had some struggles when he went to Denver, but, you know, his team's always made the playoffs. And, you know, he's been a steadfast. He's an Olympic team. I think it was in 2004 or whatever it was that lost to Argentina. And, I mean, you didn't realize until after this was over that he had made a commitment to himself to try to restore the Olympic team. But a lot of folks have been on him just about the way in which um, – both positive and negative about the way he's been acting with the gays, that he's placing such a high thing on this when they feel like, you know, he's, you know, there's a lot of New York fans that we should see some of this translate into um, his play, um, you know, during the season. And so what do you think? I, you know, I really enjoy Carmelo, but what, what did you think about Carmelo and how it ended? And, you know, he, you know, he was emotional that this was going to be his last Olympics. You know, how did you react to that? You know what? I can't take Melo seriously. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm glad you like him. You know, and and quite frankly, he, he he's an amazing scorer. I can't take Melo seriously. Listen, okay, uh, the, the United States Olympic basketball team, they're professional NBA basketball players. Okay, uh, you're supposed to win. All right. I don't care. Yeah, there's some NBA players on other teams, but. All of your team is comprised of NBA uh, basketball players that go against other NBA basketball players 
for six months out of the year. You're supposed to win, okay? The the the, well, the, the, the medal is just uh, what you're supposed to do. Now, I could understand this if this was his first one, but I can understand if I'm a New York Knicks fan, I would be a little bit upset too. I'm like, hold on a second, all right? I want to see that passion out here too. I mean, don't 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 give me that. Oh, I'm so happy. You're supposed to win, okay? Look, the this is this is equivalent to stacking your team on PlayStation, winning the championship, and then rolling up in the face, and it's your 18th championship. You owned all the records. What are you getting upset about? Okay, I get that. You're supposed to win, all right? And and, and people, are like, oh, he's a, he, he, he. Give me a break. Give me a break, okay? This is sometimes these athletes they they throw me with this stuff, okay? I'm glad you won. You're supposed to win, okay? If you ain't gonna play no more because you're too old, okay? But then you might want to get you might want to let the Knicks know that too. You're supposed to win. Don't give me that. I just, just, I just let me stop. I ain't buying. I, I'm not buying that car. It ain't got no steering wheel, and one of the tires is missing. So this is so this is and somebody was talking about this today because one of the things I think Beheim said was was that you know definitely Melo should be recognized for his efforts in the Olympics and his championship at Syracuse, but his argument about about Melo is that you know Melo's never really been in a serious position to make a run for the championship, and then so one of the things that people looked at is that you know when you look at Melo's only I think played with two All Stars. On all, any of the teams he's ever played on, that's Melo's fault. Well, he actually Mello's. played with two in Denver. He played with Chauncey and Iverson, well past their mark. That wasn't right. actually that wasn't Melo's fault in Denver. That that wasn't Melo's fault. Oh, in Denver. but, but he didn't was, have to Mello resign. He did not have to resign with New now, York. He took money to stay in that, New York. He knew New York was a dumpster fire when he decided to stay there. He could have went anywhere he wanted when, to be if he wanted to lessen his role. Play with a championship but, team. He didn't want to do that. I will give you that point. But when he came to New York, they gave him New York with the promise they was building something. Yeah. Right. Ran it. So, Ran so, it. so, so, yeah. So, so, so that, that was part of it. I give you the Chicago one I never thought about, but also Mello might be like, you know, I'm a superstar. People supposed to come play with me. You know, see, because if you go that route, then everybody keeps you like LeBron. But if he sits here and says, like, look, I, people are supposed to come play with me in New York. Now, if he had that he, attitude, uh, now listen, people like, well, you should have left for Nobody in their right mind was going to New York, seeing what New York was, okay? And other teams they, was willing to, to did, take uh, him. Look what they just did with KD. Look what they just did with KD. Huh? He was basically doing the KD. Look what they just did to KD. Yeah, I know. For going to uh, Gold State. They would have done the same thing if he would have gone to Chicago. They would have been talking just about him going to Chicago at that point with Derrick Rose, the same way they talk about KD. <laughs> He just witnessed him blast LeBron. Huh? He, they just witnessed him blast he, he just witnessed him blasting LeBron. Fine. But if you're going to sit here and right? cry, if, you, yeah, but if you're going to cry these crocodile tears about a gold medal, <laughs> okay, this is what I'm talking <laughs> about. If you're going to cry these crocodile tears about a gold medal, all right, then where is that same level of passion and determination to try to pull an NBA Finals championship? All right, this is what I'm saying. All right, is is there, there, there the ego there? You got to play team ball. You got you got a coach that's not gonna put up with your crap as much. 
All right, you don't pick your coach in the in in, in the Olympics. All right, they you you choose to play, and that coach plays his system. That's what Shashevsky did. That's what they did. All right, mm-hmm. but now you had an mm-hmm. opportunity, and this is what fans is getting ticked off about because you stayed in New York, okay, and and everybody mm-hmm. went, oh, you wanted to stay at home, fine. All right, you wanted to stay at home. You're from New York. You want to play in New York, fine. I get that. All right, but. You don't sit here and talk about championships because it's a business. And you had an opportunity mm-hmm. to say, to get the money. Now, you're going to have folks believe, who know better, that I'm glad you won your gold medal, but it ain't the first one you don't want. All right? So you're not going to play no more. So all of a sudden, you're all emotional. I'm sorry. Again, that car's a living to me. I'm not buying it. <laughs> You heard it, y'all. Hank, Hank ain't living on no love. You know that—that's that Michigan stuff right there. You know, it's it's three the hard way when you you come out of there. It's like we're not giving you no love out there. You either you either in it or you not. You either in it or you not. When we come back, we're gonna transition into some college football preview. We got a couple questions we're gonna ask. You know, Hank loves college football, so we'll. We don't get too deep in it because we're going to continue in, in, in all our future podcasts with one mic uh, talking college football stuff. But we're going to kind of just tease it up because, we, you know, we're getting into some of the big weekends coming up. And, you know, we got a couple questions we want to kind of kind of mill over a little bit so that we can kind of get, get, our, get our minds right as this college football season is coming up. So uh, we will talk about it when we come back after this musical interlude. <laughs> I got to give a shout out to my guy Brett Bielema. Yeah, it's football season, so I'm loving it. Hi, right this is now. Brett Bielema, yeah, the head coach of the University of Arkansas Razorbacks, and you're keeping it real with the real sports guys. Whoopig. Gotta get my shout out to Brett Bielema. Yeah, I'm gonna keep doing. It. Brett, I might do one more time for you. We love it, baby. It's football season, Brett. It's football season, and you know you what that means. Understand one top. thing, though. Okay, he yeah. must have put a curse on y'all down up there in Wisconsin. What did y'all do to deserve that schedule y'all got? <laughs> I don't even want to That's talk about it. I haven't had a chance. Hopefully, 
I'm hoping to get Coach Chris on here uh, before we get too quick in the season. I'm trying to make some arrangements, so hopefully I can get him on. And uh, I, I mean, he has been dealt a pretty crazy hand. You know, he's a great guy. I think he'll figure out how to get around it. But it is it's a tough schedule. Ain't no lie to it. Uh, you got LSU up in Lambeau. Um, you got a couple games in there in between. Then you go to Michigan. You got to play Michigan State. I think there's a, a short break in there. So you got to come back to Ohio State. I mean, right in a row, and that's before getting. I mean, the rest of the schedule isn't isn't uh, uh, chopped liver. So, uh, you know, <laughs> if he can find a way to get through some of that, maybe with one loss or whatever, he can he can look good. But if it's they a tough do that, they got to be ranked them. in the top five. I mean, they, that that's a murderous yeah. road. They stay in the state of Michigan for two weeks in a row, yeah. then come home to Ohio State. You know, I think yeah. your coach has got to be in therapy for that. I mean, it's like. That's not that's not fair nowhere. Then you starting with LSU, so you got and then you got like six teams on your schedule who all won ten games last yeah. year. I think four. That's that's insanity. Yeah, yeah. that's insanity. And uh, you know, like I said, I'm hoping to 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 get him on. I know he. Uh, it looks like they might be starting a freshman quarterback, um, and so uh, hopefully we we'll get a chance to hear from him and and, and get a sense of how he's gonna deal with it. Um, and then you know you lost, and then you lost. You know, one of the top you know, defensive coordinators, if the, the top defensive coordinator in the country um, as well. So, you know, that, that's a, you know, that's a lot to to fill up. Um, but, you know, I've been, I've been watching them. They're getting ready. But like you said, it's, it's one of the toughest schedules in the country. So, uh, you know, the, the Badger fans are going to be entertained because they can see. Huh? Yeah. If any second year coach deserves a pass, yep. you know, yep. I, I, I don't, I don't think that, it, it, it's fair if if uh, he he takes any heat this year. I mean that schedule is brutal. I looked at that schedule and it's like you know I can't stand Wisconsin, but I feel sorry for him. Man, that's not right. And I think where he where he's fortunate enough, and I think that's where it becomes fortunate sometimes to have an AD who's been a head coach like uh, Barry Alvarez, who understands what that means and is is usually. Is thinking about it on the long play and not getting caught up in the short play moment. Now, now I don't know how the fans are. You know, I think Chris will get a little bit because, you know, he's a product. He's a home a home state guy. So I think he's going to get some love from the fans in a way that even Brett didn't quite get in the early years of his transition from Bielema, I mean, from uh, Alvarez. I think Chris mm-hmm. will get some of that. Um, but, you know, part of it is I think because Alvarez, you know, because he's coached, understands how difficult this task is. But, it could be an opportunity for him to re- to use it as a recruiting opportunity. Kind of t- kind of schedule they're playing is an opportunity to recruit, and particularly at the the quarterback position and some of the skill positions. They always with offensive line. They've been doing well on defense, but it's in that quarterback position, really solidifying that quarterback position. And you know uh, they've always had great tight ends, but utilizing the tight ends the way they've done historically, because that's important against teams like LSU. And some of these teams with great defenses is their ability to stay with tight ends. Like, and that's where Wisconsin has played them well is because they've always had these at least one or two tight ends that they could always be that relief valve. And if you look at the NFL, it's littered with tight ends from Wisconsin. So yeah, that stuff Chris understands, you know, and, and I think in that way they share a similar system to even Michigan in a way Harbaugh runs it. I think it's similar style of play. Um, and why those two programs would be set. And also similar, I would say, to how uh, saving coaches in Alabama in terms of the 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 the, the process and the way in which he attacks it. 
So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I, I would feel much better about the schedule um, if if I'm able to see how the transition with defense and the defensive coordinator is going. Um, right. Because I knew what I had with Landon. You know, I knew what I had with the previous coordinator. You know, uh, you know he had him in the top five defenses, in, and that's what you need against a schedule like that. Um, and if they don't lose anything there, then I think that'll help the offense come along. But as you say, it's hard to recover. The one thing, and you and I know this from um, from understanding the Big Ten in ways that people don't. When you got to go to Ann Arbor and to Michigan State, the thing about it, when you come out of games like that, you're not the same. It's like fighting against a great boxer who's a body puncher. Like right. you'll win, but you're gonna lose. Like you usually need two weeks when you just play one of those teams because of the way they play, and particularly Michigan State. And now I think where Michigan is. When you play teams like that are very physical, even if you win, you lose <laughs> because you come out of that following week, and that's why it's good to you know have a have a team that you can play that you can bounce back against, and that's what I worry about your ability to recover when you play physical games like that. And and LSU LSU is like that, but then they got two games to recover after LSU before they go to Ann Arbor, but they don't have well, that you- same turnaround from Ann Arbor to East Lansing. You know, right, and then and then you they got to break that off, but not just the physical, but you're also looking at that mental, you know, the letdown factor. I mean, how do yeah. you get up, you know, yeah. two or three weeks in a row, especially with that gauntlet of a Michigan State, Michigan, yeah. and an Ohio State? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, and and that's where I'm saying the Big Ten is getting closer to that SEC feel now, where all these games are the kind of competitiveness you believe you begin to see down in the SEC a little bit is because of the coaches that we now have coming into the league. Um, and I think you'll begin to see that play out in terms of how, when they start playing these, um, these out of conference games, you'll see how some of these teams are playing. That's important. And that kind of raised the issue. One of the questions I really want to go over first, as we kind of think about college football, you know, at first, when I first, we first did a rundown, I was like, we're going to do the typical thing. What's your top 10 and do the list. And then I was like, nah, we got to do this RG way. And, <laughs> The way in which we do this, and if you have a chance, check out our Big Show. That's another podcast, the RC Big Show. You'll get this theme from us in it, is that we always ask these questions about, rather than lists, we, we talk about who you can trust and who you can't trust. We got that can't trust it list in basketball. And it's famous. If you listen to our podcast, you, if you had a chance to listen to it, go back, check us out on uh, iTunes, look for Real Sports Guys. But go back and look at our NCAA stuff, and you'll hear our can't trust it list. This is where we – if you hear other people – Using this, I've heard some other folks, it started with us. You know, if you hear somewhere else, you know, Hank has brought it out, I brought it out, Game Changer, a filthy, somebody on the platform. Like, we underground. We like the wake-up show. You know, stuff happens here, then it shows up on your, on your big-time uh, platforms. So I said, well, let's do it in the RSG way. Like, who can we trust and who can't we trust? Forget Liz. We all know who we can't trust and who we're going to trust. So, so we're going to say the can't trust – because that's usually our, our, our crazy one. Hank, who, who, whether it's a team or like a program or a coach, who you trust? What, trust? When you look at potential national champion or, you know, being in a running that you just feel like they're going to deliver the way you think they're going to deliver. It don't necessarily mean they got to be Alabama, but you just think if it's an expectation for them to deliver this way, they're going to deliver this way. Who are, the, right. who are the programs you totally trust what they're going to do? Well, let me tell you. Um, I, I'm, I'm standing at home on this one. 
Okay, this one's easy. You 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 basically gave me an alley oop on this one. I can go three sixty on this one and dunk it down without even getting off the ground. You know, I'm I'm, I'm taking I'm taking uh, Captain Khaki. You know, Jim Harbaugh. And let me explain that. This, this is this isn't just a homer pick. Okay, you you have to know and see what we see all the time. Okay, Michigan was a five and seventeen. All right, and even the most uh, avid Michigan fan knew that that team was in trouble, all right? They knew that team was in trouble when Jim Harbaugh took over. He immediately doubled their win totals in the first year with a transfer quarterback that had got thrown, that basically got demoted from Iowa, all right? He comes back with the number five recruiting class, and now this team is, for the first time in about, in about 15 years, ranked in the top ten. All right, why I, why I trust him is not so much because of the theatrics that we all keep talking about. I trust him because the man is a downright good coach. His pedigree speaks for him, not just in the coaching game, but in the in the professional game. He took a five and eleven San Francisco Forty Nine er team, got him to two NFC championship, uh, three NFC championship games, two rather, and the Super Bowl. Okay, and was one play away from winning the Super Bowl. So. You, when you see the resurrection of a story program that quickly, we just got through talking about the resurrection or the that the uh, uh, Big Ten is starting to get that SEC feel. That's because one of its key components is back to relevance, and that's Michigan, and that's Jim Harbaugh that that's done that. He's brought by he's brought the Big Ten back to a sense of relevance, where now the rest of those teams have a little bit more cachet as well because Michigan is back. And I don't and I don't mean no knock on any other team, but when the Big Ten was the big two a little late, that was because you had Michigan Ohio State. That is now significant again. And that's why I trust that coach. And, and I'll start like two people I know I can trust is regardless of my team affiliation. Off this list I'm taking people like I can trust Urban Meyer and I can trust uh, save it. <laughs> they just have done it right. But other people uh, that uh, uh, that I, I I can say, well, you know, you know, how you know, can I can I can I trust them? You know, are they going to deliver on the product that we think they're going to deliver on? Um, are they going to be good? I would say Jimbo Fisher at Florida State um, and what they're doing is a program. Uh, that I can trust, um, and I would say Dabo Speed Sweeney. Um, you know, for a long time, Clemson was uh, was probably like my Villanova uh, of basketball, <laughs> a program that you know they just tease you and, uh, and 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 they let you down in the end. But I think, given um, their performance uh, of the uh, of the past year. Um, you know, um, I, I believe that they are they are le- le- legitimately um, set to to be uh, to be that team. In a sense, you know, in some senses, the Hank just brought this up that um, they are they are similar to you know what Michigan and Ohio State were um, in in the Big Ten. You know, uh, you know, given you know the dominance, uh, the Florida State and Clemson at this point. Um, are, are are those teams that that you have to to pay attention to 
Uh, but you can trust that they're going to be there at the end, that the players are going to play big in the big games, that the coaches are going to have them ready um, in ways that are going to be there. And I, I'm confident that, you know, I think, you know, for Florida State, you know, when I retired, you know, people were worried. Uh, but Jimbo has is, 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 is got that recruiting line set and is doing what he's got to do. And, and, I, and, I, and I like um, what they're doing at Clemson in terms of the talent that they got there. Obviously, they got the Heisman Trophy candidate there. Um, but I, I think they have turned the corner. So those are two, two programs that um, I can trust. Now, we've got what we call the vaunted can't trust it list. Now, if you listen to our basketball, um, I've been notorious on my trust list. So, like, uh, it, the funny thing about Game Changer is is that, <laughs> you know, he got Duke on his can't trust it list when it comes. And it drives. We got many of our close listeners and colleagues who are Duke fans. They, they go crazy. Um, you know when he uh, uh, when he when he uh, when he when he talks about Duke. Uh, I've always talked about you know uh, Kansas. Um, Kansas basketball will get you salivating, and then when it comes to turning the time, man, they just don't they just don't bring it. And and so we said, well, what about this with football? And so let me this coach that I'm going to talk about. Well, let me start like this. I'll start this out. The program that I haven't been able to trust is, is, is called my Villanova of football in Georgia. <laughs> Georgia comes in every year. Boy, I hear McFarland and all these cats, all these SEC cats. Now, Booker's usually pretty pretty good about this, but cats will salivate over Georgia. And Rick, you know, you know, obviously they let Rick go, and they will always find a way I mean, I feel bad. You know, I got family down in Atlanta. I feel bad. You know, my niece is kind of looking at Georgia. I feel bad for Georgia fans. I remember the days of Herschel Walker and, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and how dominant Herschel was. Bulldogs, Georgia dogs. And uh, I believe played at Georgia. You know, love Hines. You know, but – they have never, I felt like, it, it, given that they were in the, the SEC East, which has been down for so long, it was like it's a layup for them. Like, they should come out of the SEC East pretty much unscathed, ready to take on whoever comes out of the West. And they just never could take advantage of it, man. It just disappointed me. Now, Rick is gone, and usually because I was talking about Rick, and Rick is gone to Miami. And I am, Rick going to Miami will resurrect his career in a way that I think he will win a championship in Miami. I think there's something about that space that will help him. But Georgia is still, if Georgia figures out how to make that talent equal the expectation, then Georgia's on my can't trust it list. The other one on my can't trust it list is one of our former Michigan head coaches in Pekin down there in Bayou Country. Now, he's won a national championship. That's mine. And we can't get on him. But Les will do more crazy things in a football game than anybody I've ever seen. He will drive you crazy with some of the decisions he'll make in game in game decisions, which has kind of got him on the hot seat. They've got more talent, but I don't understand. This is the part that kills me. As much talent as these folks talk about, as much uh, 
uh, super quarterback camps we've had in the country, way in which we're developing quarterback play in high school and junior high. How is it that Alabama and LSU never have a quarterback worth anything? <laughs> How is that possible in this day and age? Where I think it is the most – we have probably the greatest pipeline of young quarterback talent because of the way in which we develop them. And yet a team like LSU always has quarterback problems. I agree with that in Fournette. But never has a quarterback. I don't understand. It just does not make sense to me, given how attractive they are. At home. Um, so that's a, I can't trust them because I don't know what miles going to It's going to be it, – it will be fourth and seven inside his own 20. He might fake punt. I just don't know what he's going to do. And, 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 that's why they call him the mad hatter. I'm not fired him. Mad Hatter. And he almost mad hatted his butt right out of Baton Rouge. So <laughs> that's a person that I can't quite trust. The other thing that I can't quite is UCLA. People have been talking about Man. UCLA for like the past three or four years. Tell me about and, it. And, and everybody talking about the Pac 12. And they ain't doing anything. Don't tell me nothing about UCLA. Or even USC. I got more confidence in USC. Like, y'all better be glad y'all got the Rams or y'all at least got the Clippers because I don't know what some college football team's doing out there. But I can't trust UCLA. I mean, they've been talking about UCLA since since our boy departed for Seattle, and they still ain't feel how to take over LA. So I can't trust UCLA. So those are a few that I have out there. I do have one more, but I don't want to piss off a lot of Irish fans. Like, as much as I talk about the Irish. They ain't really delivered in the way I think they should deliver. You know, the Irish are like the the the, the college version of the cowboy. Having a lot of wins in the seventies and eighties. I ain't seen nothing in years. At least give me the nineties. You know, even when we talk about Michigan, we at least talking about the nineties. The Bra- I mean, <laughs> Notre Dame, boy, we we it was when we was over there watching uh, uh, back in the seventies, trying to sneak into Michigan Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that's my little thing. I will get. I will dock and go to you, brother. Okay, listen. You took one of mine because I was going to say UCLA because I, you know, because Jim Mora <laughs> Jr. is some of the finest talent in college football, and they lay more eggs in the hen house. It don't make sense, you know. Beautiful campus. It should be the Michigan of the West, but they that that team underachieves for no reason. For no reason at all. I don't. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't trust them, you know. But let's 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 continue to move on. Oklahoma. You didn't mention Oklahoma. <laughs> I, I left that one okay. for you. <laughs> Listen, Bob Stoops been over there since the Dust Bowl. Okay, this is a team that won they won championship, then has has figured out a way to get rolled upon every year. Okay, Baker Mayfield is a nice player, all right? But I promise you that for everybody's mentioning Oklahoma this year, they're going to lose a game they ain't got no business losing, all right? And Bob Stoops has been over there. You would think that he would rival schools in the SEC and the Big Ten as, long as, as far as long as he's been over there. But he's untrustworthy, untrustworthy as far as getting it all the way to the end. Let's move on to another one. The most uh, 
glamorous school, I guess, as far as colors and uniforms, put Nike, Nike put them on the back, Oregon, okay? Another fun and gun, but ain't got none type of school, all right? They coaches them, uh, uh, Kelly them going to the NFL, all right, and have been to a couple of national championship games and broken the hearts of the Ducks. What kind of name is a duck anyway for uh, a nickname? I, I don't get it. But, but I'm just saying, you know, now, you know, they, 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 their name is out there, but Oregon doesn't scare anybody. If you play good defense, then guess what? You beat Oregon. You beat Oregon. They don't play any defense, but they're out there. Everybody say you got to be careful of them. You got to be careful of them. Now, granted, they go into a couple of national championship games, but you know, uh, I, 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 when you when you go back and you look at it, you ask yourself how how did that actually happen? And I got one for you, D. You're not going to be happy with this one, but I'm going to put it out yeah. there anyway. Arkansas. And now let me tell you something. You know, your boy come from Big Ten country, won all these Big Ten championships, you know. Uh, Dodge, Michigan, but I ain't saying nothing. Um, but then he gets, he goes down to SEC country. Now, you know, he's supposed to be getting better recruits. They're supposed to be really doing their thing. But Arkansas is only a middle-of-the-road team. Now, I know that the people down there in Fayetteville, or I think that's where they're at, you know, was looking for better from, from Big Bad Brett, all right? And he wants to call us out because we took him off the schedule to play Notre Dame. But, uh, again, they need to make some noise down there. They need to make some noise down there because, again, you left with the expectation of competing for the SCC championship somewhere, and they haven't done anything. And I got one more. I got, I got one more because there's a whole lot of talk about this team and they and they have not produced at all, okay, since T. Martin graduated. And this is the University of Tennessee, okay? Now, they, they, they've given a lot of talk about all the players they got coming back and all of this stuff, but they still have Florida on the brain. They can't get by Florida even when they win it by two touchdowns with two minutes left, okay? That's an untrustworthy team. Now, they got a lot of guys coming back, and some, some writers, dare I say, got them rated as high as number one in some polls. I wish I were drinking what they were drinking. I bet, I bet you uh, Paul Chris was drinking what they were drinking. He wouldn't hurt so much about the schedule, but I digress. <laughs> this, 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 these are teams right now that look good on paper, even they got some pretty uniforms, but you can't trust them as far as you can throw them left-handed with a broken elbow. <laughs> Now, I'm going to defend two of my guys. One, I just had a chance to meet him last year, is Josh Dobbs. I, I, I think I think he's going to do his thing over at Tennessee, and they've been building towards this. I mean, they went from wreckage. Uh, they had to stay, They had to survive the Lane Kiffin years. Um, and I think Arkansas had to go through some of those same things, terrible program stuff, moving out and transitioning out. But I think Josh, I got a feeling that Josh is going to have a great year over here in the East. And so Tennessee has been building towards it, never having expectations of not making it. I give them a little bit of leeway. And, I, and I, the reason why I didn't name Arkansas, not because I, I know Brett, I can be critical of him as well, and I will be. But I also think he had to do the same time of change in culture. And he's had some major victories even in those first years against some major teams even over in the West, right? So he's had – major victories against some of those tough teams, you know, now he's got to be consistently winning. So it ain't like he hasn't beat some of those, beaten some of those top teams, 
over in the western part uh, of uh, of the SEC. So I give him that. But yeah, this year, I and mean, we talked about. It, I think he he said it himself when he's on the air with us. Y'all want to check check out his interview that he knows this is the year to really kind of turn the corner. He's got some good talent doing. So I I agree. It's time for him to to do the breakout here. So I'm with you on that one. I'm just rooting for my boy Josh Dodd. Anybody who's majoring in engineering and a top-level quarterback, I got to go for the brother on that one. But you can't well, take Hank. Hank on, but, but, again, this segment is called Who Do You Trust and Who Do You Don't Trust. Yeah. So until, yeah. they, until they do yeah. something different, I don't trust them. I got to add one more I meant to, I meant to add. Uh, and, this was, and this was more of a dig than it was an ad. But I, had, I would be remiss <laughs> if I didn't uh, the University of Mississippi and Hugh Freeze. Oh, I, okay. I, I, I was going to talk about the Mississippi teams, all of them. Yes, have been high. I mean, so I, 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 you know, I, I kind of we, we kind of got going on that, but you know, you got to say something about him spending time with his family, you know, during the summertime, and and so he got to take time away from his team while he's paying his players and doing their homework for him, but uh, then they go and lose games to your hall <laughs> they're supposed to win. So that's another team that's untrustworthy. Both on the field and off the field. <laughs> I, 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 I was going to say something about the, the, the state of Mississippi is in trouble with the, no trust, can't trust the list. Well, hey, we're about to go into what I think is probably the best radio, best podcast uh, on the planet. Uh, inside the park with Hank, we're going to talk a little bit of baseball before we close the show up and talk some uh, NFL talk. So here we go with Inside the Park segment. Toronto tie, 
uh, in the East, you see Cleveland and Texas with solid leads in the Central and in the West. Over in the National League, you see the Washington and the Cubs have and the Cubs have comfortable leads in the East and in the Central divisions. But there's a dog fight for and the rivals in the West with L.A. and San Francisco. Only two games that separate these two, and the Dodgers beating the uh, the Giants tonight. By the way, talking about the Dodgers for a minute, what happened to Yasiel Puig? What happened to Puig? You know, all of a sudden he was supposed to be this dynamo from Cuba. Now you see where they, when the Dodgers went and traded for Josh Reddick, they moved Puig, they they demoted Puig, Puig down into the farm system. Okay, but there's talk now because Puig is trying to get his game back right now. And Josh Reddick is hitting sub 200 since he's been traded to the Dodgers from uh, Oakland. That there's some talk and some rumblings that they may be able to bring Puig back. My guess would be is what teams would be interested in getting him. You know that that's a lot of talent that you got sitting down into your um, farm system. So it would be interesting for me to see if Puig is somebody that some team could use either on some sort of unconditional release or money under the table or something to see if you can't get that young man into your into your lineup for a playoff push. Then when we look at the wild card, this is what makes baseball so fun this time of the year. Because it used to be once upon a time you had two divisions in each in each side in in each league and it was pretty much over for everybody else. It was already it was already done and over with and you could start packing up your your clothes and doing whatever you do, get the kids ready for school, but you can't do that this year. You got too many teams that's really pushing for the playoffs. You got six teams within five games in the final playoff spot in the American League. In the National League, you got three teams within four games of the final playoff spot. You got teams like Seattle and Houston, and you got teams, St. Louis is already in there, but you got all these different teams that's fighting and battling and scraping for playoff spots. So this is what we look forward to for the next month and a half for the search for October. But, you know, the beauty thing about this is we're actually seeing some real good baseball, too. We're seeing some good baseball. You're really starting to see what people and what managers are really, what moves they need to make, what teams need to make, what clubs need to make, what offices need to make to see if they can really make that playoff push. But let's look at some of the players this year that are really keeping it going. Here we are in late August, and, I mean, you look at some guys, they always get off to a great start. But you want to see, can they sustain this? And has anybody been paying a lot of attention to Mookie Betts? Mookie Betts is blowing it up in the American League. We talked about Mookie Betts early in the year, you know, playing and all of his uh, game-hitting streaks and everything. But it was like, that's a nice little story. But this young man right now is really putting it together. He is an MVP, legitimate folks, MVP candidate, hitting over 300 right there in runs scored, right there in RBIs, right there, um, just doing everything. And he's a 5 2 player. Did you watch the game last day, the other day? Just guns out the player at home. Just a strong arm, 5 tools, got speed, can hit, can hit for power, and he's putting it together. He might be our modern-day Willie Mays, you heard it here first, but we got to keep watching. And Chris Bryant, Chris Bryant with the Cubs. There's, there's another one. You remember this young man didn't even start the season last year. He had that remarkable, remarkable uh, spring training. But then all of a sudden they decided, the Cubs decided to sit him on down. But now you see that he, uh, you see now that, that he's doing his thing right now with the Cubs. He's an MVP candidate. You know, if a scientist could take Theo Epstein, 
Theo Epstein is the general manager of the Chicago Cubs. If they could take Theo Epstein's DNA, if they could clone this cat and give him to teams like Colorado, give him to teams like like uh, like Cleveland, give him to teams like Houston. You know what I'm talking about. All these different teams that never won the World Series. This man is a curse breaker. The Chicago Cubs right now starting play today was like 13 games in first place, okay? They were 13 games ahead in first place, and they are blowing teams' door off. They got players like Chris Bryant. They got pitchers like Jake Arrieta. They they go and get um, – they just got everything going on for them this year, all right? And, and this man knows how to build a team. This is the man that finally broke the curse, put the team together that broke the curse for the Boston Red Sox. And now he's doing it for the Chicago Cubs. All right, so, I mean, you you got to look at something like that and say, you know, what is he doing? He should write a book. He's already making good money, but he should write a book on how to build a team or how to break team curses. I'm pretty sure that a lot of GMs out there will be standing in line to try to get that book. So let's move on a little bit. Let's see what's been going on in baseball uh, since the last time we had an opportunity to chat. Well, we see that A-Rod has finally given his farewell. Well, let's say that the Yankees gave their farewell to him. And so he's gone. But you have to ask the question for how long. Here's a man who I think is four or five home runs away from 700 home runs. All right, so now he, he's, he's retiring, or the Yankees, they, they're done with him. They actually have him sit out and play his last game on a Friday night a couple of weeks ago. He gives another one of these crocodile tear farewells. And, and you could tell when you're looking at uh, Alex Rodriguez that he's playing to the camera. He's definitely playing to the camera, that, that there's nothing genuine about this cat at all, but there he is. He wants to keep playing. What player in their right mind that, that close to uh, 700 home runs don't want to play? But he's got so much baggage. He's got more baggage than a Delta Airline terminal. Don't nobody want to be bothered with him. But he wants to try to play. Lo and behold, he may get an opportunity. I said may. I didn't say he would, but he may. Why is that? Because uh, John Carlos Stanton, the long baller for the Miami Marlins, is hurt. He's got a groin pull. Some say he may be out for the season or at least till late September. All right? They need to try to get a bat in there. There's talk that Alex Rodriguez is available. Alex Rodriguez is from the Miami area. Okay? But you also got to understand that the company that got Alex Rodriguez gets banned in the first place is also down there. So I don't know if if you're the Miami Marlins, do you want that 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 PR nightmare? But uh, there's a there, there is a possibility there. The Miami Marlins are in the wild card hunt. All right. So what do you do there? So there's that. There, so you got that dynamic going on. Last time we talked, we was looking at uh, Ichiro finally getting his 300th hit, 3,000th hit. He got it. Got a triple, got a 3,000 hit. Beautiful story, you know. One of the most well-decorated Japanese players in, in uh, the major leagues, and he well-deserved it. Nice job, young man. We also uh, see that the Prince Fielder had, had, had to retire. We remember we, last time we talked, talked about Prince Fielder, we were talking about the injury to his neck, and he was going to be out for the season. He since announced his retirement. His career, it, was, it was a career-ending injury, and it's too bad, you know, uh, he was one of, one of the most feared power hitters in the league when he was with Milwaukee, also with the Detroit Tigers, and going on with Texas. The Texas thing just did not work for him, and it's unfortunate. You know, still young, 
and still had an opportunity to uh, perform, but unfortunately that neck injury was just too severe. Oddly enough, though, he finished with the same amount of home runs as his dad, Cecil Fielder, at 319. So there's a bit of irony. So how about that? They're the, the Fielder's at 319. Also, Mark Teixeira, first baseman for the New York Yankees, also announced his retirement after the end of this season. And you know what? You look at the Yankees, and here we go with the New York look Yankees. All of a sudden, they let a lot of these old players go to other teams. Carlos Beltran got traded away. You know, Aroldis Chapman got traded away. Um, they're going to release. They're going to release McCann. Um, so they're they're getting younger. They're trying to be. They're trying to do like they did before they won the World Series in '06. They're trying to '96. They're trying to bring these young men. They're trying to get younger. The Derek Jeter years, when Derek Jeter came with that team, when Jorge Posada came with that team, when you had a young Mariano Rivera. They're doing that again, and you can see some of the young talent with the Yankees. That they're, they're starting to get a chance to play. It's a it's a shame that it's taken them so long to just kind of like rebuild and regroup with that team. You know, um, it, we're in a different age of baseball right now. You just can't buy your way to the championship like you used to. And the Yankees are starting to figure it out. And it's kind of refreshing to watch. I'm not a big Yankee fan, but it is kind of refreshing to watch some of this young talent that they had on the farm get an opportunity to play. And oh, by the way, the Yankees are in the hunt too. They're they're, they're seven games out of the last playoff spot. But, you know, they're still playing meaningful baseball into uh, into uh, late August and going into early uh, September. So that's at least something new, something that the fans in New York can at least get their hands around and get their heads around. We also want to uh, give another shout-out to the great Big Poppy. You know, here we go, Big Poppy, the oldest man to hit 30 home runs, okay? He, he hit his 30th home run the other night, and he's the oldest player to, to reach 30 home runs in the season. So, I mean, the man continues to play. It's, it's amazing to me that he's saying this is it, and he just continues to put up numbers. You know, so you just got to keep an eye out for that. Boston is having an amazing season right now, tied for first place, got some incredible young talent on that team, and also the resurgence of Rick Porcello. And I'm not trying to make this a Boston show, but you got, but you will be remiss if you're not looking at what's going on over there in Beantown. Here's the same Rick Porcello that spent most of his career with the Detroit Tigers, and was the fourth option. Now he's he's close to winning 20 ball games this year, and is a Cy Young candidate. I I, I shook my head when I think about that. I think think about the fact that Rick Porcello, Rick Porcello, is a Cy Young candidate for this year. You know, when you think about the Detroit Tigers. You could, you, could, you could kick yourself, and I do as a Tiger fan, when you think about Rick Porcello, when you think about Max Scherzer, when you think about Doug Fister, all playing for other teams and all getting work done, you know. And here we are, you know, with some just finding anything and anybody to piece together sometimes outside of Justin Verlander, not named Justin Verlander or not named Michael Fulmer, to try to put on a mom. So that's what that's all about. The Boston Red Sox right now have an amazing season along with the Toronto Blue Jays. With that being said, though, we'll transition to some teams that aren't having a good of a season, which means that you start getting to that transition point. Not everybody is in the playoff hunt. Not everybody is in the playoff hunt. You have some teams that, you know, their season is pretty much over and they've got what they call highway eyes. So let's look at what those teams are going to do, and let's look at some of the managers of those teams. 
You know, I want to look first at the uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, okay, and Mike Sosha. Now, Mike Sosha has got arguably one of the best players in the major leagues, and Mike Trott that, he, that, that plays for him. He also has Albert Pujols, who's setting records still, even at an advanced age. He's got, when you look at him on paper, a decent team. But for some reason, Mike Sosha, over the course of the last several years since their World Series win, has not been able to get this team over over the top, despite spending from the front office. And yet he remains as manager. I know back when I had RJ and Mike on the on air, I said that Mike Sosha should have been gone then. You guys remember how long that's been, and he's still there. This is a almost a last this is a last place team, all right? The Angels. It should not be. It should not be. And it's time for them for another voice to be in that dugout, in my opinion. Let's also look at Bob Melvin over in Oakland. I don't think Bob Melvin is a bad manager by any stretch. But Oakland is Oakland, and that's not the same team from a few years ago that had uh, Cespedes, that had Donaldson, that had Reddick, that had Sonny Gray when he was uh, healthy. This is a different Oakland team. They're going in a different direction. This is a veteran manager that probably should be with a team that is ready to win. So I think that, you know, to, to save him, you know, Oakland should go ahead and let him go to another team that is ready to, to win. You know, and again, Oakland is not ready to win right now. Not in my opinion. They're not going to spend any money. In fact, they were giving away assets, in which they did when they let Josh Reddick go to the Dodgers. And then finally, finally, I have to say the Detroit Tigers manager Brad Ausmus. In my opinion, Brad Ausmus, the Brad Ausmus experiment has failed. All right, this is a veteran team that just several years, a few years ago, went to the World Series, got swept by the Giants got to the American League Championship Series in which uh, they lost to Boston, all right? Then, then when Jim Leland decides to retire, you go to Brad Ausmus. Brad Ausmus is quite arguably one of the worst managers with a, with a decent team in the major leagues. That's being nice, all right? And, and, and it's abysmal because you have players that are still producing like your Miguel Cabreras, like your Justin Verlanders, like a J.D. Martinez, like a Nick Castellanos. You have players on that team that this team should be competing, and yet they are one of the most inconsistent teams in the major leagues. And the problem with that is that when you start seeing teams being that inconsistent, you've got to start looking at the preparation of the manager to those teams, even at the pro level. Your manager has to prepare your team week in and week out, day in and day out, to be be prepared, especially going into a late pennant run. All right, the Detroit Tigers had a nine-game winning streak in which, in which they went on the road and immediately lost seven of their last eight. Now they're rebounding again. This has been the roller coaster ride that has been all season. I know baseball's a long year, but the good managers, the Pat Metheny's of the world, that know how to keep your team consistent throughout a 162-game season so that they're competing at the end are the kind of managers that, that either you're doing it or you don't. Perfect example, look at what the Washington Nationals did. Okay, they had Matt Williams, probably a good, very good baseball man. Matt Williams had a veteran team, could not get that team over the top. Matt Williams is gone, and now who do they, what do they do? They go and find themselves a veteran manager in Dusty Baker, who arguably could be the manager of the year in the National League. Washington is doing work. The manager does matter. The coaching staff does matter. You can see, you see it across the board. 
you get a bad manager, you get a bad coach, you get a bad somebody who's running your team, and they'll make a good team look bad or they'll make a good team look mediocre. In that in that case, that's what has to happen. Conversely, when you have good managers, you can turn mediocre teams or average teams into great teams, and you can turn great teams into phenomenal teams. Which brings me to my next point, which is could be baseball's bizarro world. Imagine, if you will, we're going to take you to the twilight zone right now. Imagine, if you will, a world where you are into October, where you're looking out over Wrigley Field, where you have the Cubbies, the Chicago Cubs, going against the Cleveland Indians. A sure sign of the apocalypse, folks. If anything like that were to happen, can you imagine two teams playing in the World Series, trying to both break curses of long-standing championship droughts? Now, Cleveland, believe land, y'all kind of got off the skid a little bit. But can you imagine if the Chicago Cubs make it to the World Series and, dare I say, win the World Series this year? Folks, 2016 will go down as a year of confusion, a year of wonder, a year of what the heck just happened, a year in which you lose Prince and Muhammad Ali in the same year. It will be the same year that Cleveland wins a championship, competes for another, and the Cubs, oh, my goodness, the Cubs could possibly win the World Series. I shudder to think of it. The skies would open up. The four horsemen would come down. No, that wouldn't happen because the Detroit Lions are still the Detroit Lions. But back to baseball. So now we're going to talk about the Grand Slam Series of the week. As we've talked about now over the last few minutes, we've been talking about that we're in the hunt for October, and we've got some good baseball to watch. All right, so the Grand Slam Series of the Week, there's two of them that you've got to watch. If you're a baseball fan, you want to see some good, solid baseball with some good, solid teams, you've got to watch what's going on out west. Well, you've got that rivalry coming all the way across country from New York out to California where the Giants is going against the Dodgers. Three games to separate these teams as of tonight, and they're going to be going at it to the end of the season. Another one you want to watch is two of the best teams in the American League, as the Indians go out to Arlington to battle the Rangers, that's going to be a good one. Because if you, because uh, the Rangers just got through playing the Red, you Darvish, the pitcher, hit a home run, his first ever home run in the American League, or in, in in the major leagues. So that's going to be something to watch. Four of the best teams in, in 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 baseball going at each other. You don't want to miss it. That series starts tomorrow. And got to always mention the swing and a miss. Series of the week. So if you're a young man and you're trying to impress your date, you want to go out to a date, you want to take them to a professional game, but you don't want to spend a whole lot of money, you got a couple of bucks to see the, the stadium going to be empty, and y'all can have the whole place to yourself, and you can tell whatever lie you want to tell. Take her to the Braves versus the Diamondbacks, okay, out there in Arizona. It'll be nice and warm. Y'all be in there all by yourselves. These two teams got a combined record of 49-77. and 77. That's 28 games under 500, folks, if you're doing a count. And they're a combined 23 games out of first place. So if you just got to go see somebody, even if you want to sit there and have a hot dog and just look at the uniforms, that would be the game you would want to go and see. So that's going to be our segment for tonight. We will see you. We will, we will talk to you in a couple of weeks. And listen here. 
this is inside the park, ball game over, y'all drive home safe. Mitchell Line Stepper, but if you look, if you listen back at our podcast with myself, 
you know, uh, Phil and Game Changer. We were calling Roger Goodell the habitual line separate long before everybody else was calling him that. But he, he comes again. And what I love about James Harrison, I'm a Steeler fan, but I love about him, he's just not going to have it. And mm-hmm. so, Hank, I know we didn't have a sort of rundown, but again, like, it feels like NFL can't get out of its way with some of these issues. Right. What do you make of James Harrison's response to this and how they're handling this given how they handled Peyton and given that Al Jazeera is no longer a really functioning news network? It's, it's defunct right now. And yet they still want these guys to come in and they're threatening to, to lose some games. Like, what was your reaction? Well, you know, that was the thing about it for me is that they had, they had threatened to suspend them. And I don't blame James Harris. And like he said, y- y'all put it across the scroll just like you did it this way. And you tell them everything's clear to charges, you know. And, and there, there's a double standard in the NFL, and we know it. And we've seen it, okay. Yeah. The, the thing is all screwed up. You know, you'll you, you take a report right there. There's no substantiated evidence, but you want folks to come in and cooperate on that. And then you did have something on, on Peyton Manning. All right, now, even though it was years ago, but, but you know, it, it wasn't handled the same way. And, and Roger Goodell is just uh, suspension crazy on the most menial things, things he really needs to address, yeah. doesn't address right. But stuff like this, he ready to have guys losing games over. It, it, you know, I don't blame him. I, I would be more outspoken yep. if I knew I wasn't wrong. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think he's – and we'll keep an eye on it. I mean, it's just continuous things when you got a really good product that it just seems like, to, you know, one thing about some leadership is that humility can take you a long way. Even though, even though you have the power, great leaders understand when not to use it. And, you know, I feel like the NBA kind of gets it right. It, you know, w, I mean, some of these other leagues have a sense. The NBA, I think, is really good at this, knowing when to use power and when not to and when would to be in collaboration. I think the NFL has never quite found this. It's always been this we-own-you kind of league rather than seeing opportunities to to have partnerships for the long-term standing leagues. Because even though some of these players are not going to be playing long careers, people like James Harrison are going to be your alums, are going to be your people who carry the torch with some of your new players coming in. And you need to also understand how you treat them even in how you think about treating a Peyton Manning. So I think you hit it right on. One of the couple quick things I, I mean, want to hit before the we thing is, he just he thinks yeah. he's bigger he thinks he's bigger than the league. And that's the one thing yeah. the players stand. They make the league. He just runs it. Yeah. But I, I think part of it is because the owners give it to him. And right. he's an extension of what they really want and how they really feel. And NFL owners, um, like most owners, owners come from a, a a class they used to have a control and you know in in the way they view these things as business and where they talk about players as assets all of these things are 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 symbolism of how they feel about these players that 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 create the the animosity that could really make the league healthier if they could find a way to find common ground and it just you know it hasn't been good since gene upshaw and some of them have been i mean that was when yeah, people complain about Gene Upshaw, but I think some of the things that Gene Upshaw and then were able to do was at least find a common ground, and I'm not I'm not seeing any of that right now. Um, right. Dip, how can you be the Super Bowl champion and still be trying to figure out your quarterback situation? 
I mean, you know what? the Denver stuff is. Talk to me. I, I can't. I can't speak on it. I mean, you know, listen. Listen to these names. Tell me. Tell me if this. If this stirs the pot any for you. Trevor Simeon, Mark Sanchez, Paxton Lynch. Do 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 you do you just feel like running around the house when you hear those names? <laughs> I just I'm with you. I and I think Elway's a smart guy. I just man, they just they just fumble this whole thing. You know, they don't fumble too many things, but this one is one that they just it is it's a mess. And I think they'll figure out how to overcome it, but it's just one of those things. That is 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 crazy, and and and, and give it a time. Like, are there, what are there one or two teams as we wrap up here that that you think that 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 you have concerns about based on what you've seen so far? Well, listen, I, I I'm I, when I look at this, I look at I look at Cincinnati. I'm really kind of interested in what's going on in that camp, okay? Mm-hmm. If you last remember the Cincinnati Bengals, you remember that debacle in Cincinnati mm-hmm. where their team just lost their mind. I'm just kind of mm-hmm. I'm interested in, you know, how they how they how they move on. What do they do? What do they look like this year? And then the only other concern I got about the preseason is Trevor Simeon, Mark Sanchez. And Paxton Lynch. <laughs> Hank has said it all, y'all. <laughs> we are teeing up because the next time we come on, on on the air, we'll be close to the beginning of the season, and we'll start to tee up some of our picks for the NFL, and we'll give you some deeper thoughts based on what we see out of this opening weekend of college football. But we really enjoyed this experience, everybody. You know, this is one mic, and uh, – you know, we look forward to you joining us on uh, our next podcast.